This episode of 64, a chess podcast, is sponsored by Aim Chess. Use code DAVID30 to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess and start improving your chess today. Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I'm your host, David, and we're back with another fantastic episode. This one's going to be a good one. Uh, I have Geert Vandervelde. Uh, he is a chief commercial officer of Chessable. Uh, Chessable, of course, is an online learning platform where you can learn openings, middle games. Uh, you know, you can buy books that are available in print. You can get lifetime repertoires from top grandmasters. So it's a fantastic tool. I use it a lot and uh, very excited to have you on to talk about Chessable and talk about chess. Thanks for having me on. So uh, before we begin, I just want to thank Aim Chess once again for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, you can use the code David30 to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess. Uh, and I also want to remind you all that we do have a Patreon uh, for a dollar a month. You can support the podcast if you like what you hear. Maybe you want to just uh, support the work that I do. Um, it's patreon.com slash 64 podcast. Uh, if you pay $3 or more per month, uh, you get access to the 64 inbox where you can ask questions that I will ask guests on the show. Um, but with that being said, I'm done plugging my stuff. Uh, let's get right into the content. Uh, first of all, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. It's a nice day out. I'm in, uh, the, uh, suburbs of, uh, of, uh, Barcelona or technically speaking, I'm just on the other side of the mountains or Chesville's headquarters is in uh, Barcelona these days, and uh, it is really hot out. So um, I'm hiding up in uh, in my room with the windows open. It's a nice day to, to kind of chill out. So, so Chessable is a European company, right? Yeah, it was it was started in uh, in England, in um, just outside of London, official headquarters in London. And um, about two years ago, our CEO David Cramley moved from the United Kingdom to Spain which uh, is not such a strange decision for him because um, he is half Ecuadorian, half Russian. So he speaks Spanish perfectly. And uh, Barcelona is an amazing city. And we really had some, uh, some of our, our chief uh, management living here. And uh, so when he moved over, uh, that was kind of like the start of uh, building a new office. And we currently have an office with about 30 people in Barcelona and then uh, a lot more employees for the rest of the companies, including Chessables, also all across the world. We have like a, an office in London. We have an office in Hamburg and an office in Oslo. Not all Chessable related, but Play Magnus Group, the uh, group of companies that Chessable is a part of. Those are kind of like the four main spots. I see. So I do want to talk about the, the Play Magnus Group acquisition later on, but I guess uh, let's start with just like, a, you know, so you are the chief commercial officer. Yeah. Um, what's a typical day in the life at, at Chessable? But like, what's a typical, like, you know, the whole team is working on something. What are you guys kind of doing on a day-to-day -day basis? So I'm more in the, these days, I'm more involved in the, um, the strategy and kind of like on the group level. I'm also vice president of content for the, uh, for the Play Magnus group. So I'm much more involved in the big picture stuff. Um, up until about six months ago, I was 
really directly involved in the content creation process and managing all the authors and uh, managing my managers who are working with, you know, their content teams and stuff. But the, at this point, I'm just mostly working on bigger picture, long-term strategy stuff um, and uh, learning how to be a manager of managers, which is very different because um, I was managing team members before and that's when you're really directly involved and you give a lot of feedback and stuff. Um, and my, my journey was just really one from being a super fan of Chessable and using it all the time. I was power user to becoming a publishing manager. And then eventually the company grew. I think I was the fifth full-time member that joined in uh, January, 2019. It was kind of already working as a consultant for a few months before then. And then um, by the time I joined, it was like, I was like the fifth full-time member. And then last year, September, we were still 35 people. So we had kind of slowly grown. And as uh, soon as um, Play Magnus Group which Chessable at that point was already a part of that group of companies. As soon as Plate Magnus Group became a publicly listed company on the Norway Stock Exchange, we you know, had raised a lot of money and we were able to scale. So we scaled up to a company which is probably over 140 employees at this point. So we went wow. 35 to 140 in um, about eight months. So it was incredibly crazy, hectic time for us to scale that many teams and bring that many new people on board. So that, that, when that finished, which we're kind of like, now we're really kind of in a new, at a new, on a new plateau, you know, like we've reached a new plateau now that the, the next step is just basically moving up again. We're kind of in a, we're kind of in a golden age of, of, you know, chess education in a way. Uh, if you consider like how easy it is to find a coach online and all the instructive content that keeps getting pumped out. Um, and of course, Chessable courses, I think, you know, maybe 70% of Twitter traffic on, on chess Twitter is about, you know, B3 Cowboy at this point. Uh, <laughs> Thanks to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You and uh, yeah. And, and, and everyone else who's uh, who's been, you know, following that course religiously. Uh, I mean, I can tell you as somebody who plays online with the black pieces, uh, like who really loves playing with the black pieces that uh, I may need to buy that course just to know what kind of lines people are playing because I am starting to see B3 a lot more. Oh yeah, cool. Um, but uh, I, what I what I do want to ask is, where do you guys see yourself in this you know chess improvement uh, universe that is kind of formed where you know someone can go on chess.com for example and look at a video lesson, or they can go find a, a Skype coach, or they well maybe not Skype anymore because everybody uses Zoom these days, including me, um, or maybe you know maybe they're watching some instructive content on Hikaru Nakamura's channel or Daniel Naraditsky's channel. Uh, so I guess, where do you guys see yourself in this whole, like improvement space? It's a, it's a very good question. Let me quickly sketch my personal journey. Um, about four years ago, I was still a full-time musician. Uh, I have had a career in music for a long time. I'm 42 now. I had, uh, almost 20 years playing in different bands, starting in my early 20s and uh, going until my mid 30s. And then, and chess was always a part of that actually too. So, cause I, I used to study chess on tour, bring like a chess book, a little magnet board and um, I would play and study chess all the time. But it was very much like this personal thing for me. I, I, did, I wasn't part of a chess club. I, I didn't really actually, actually even play online all that much. It was just mostly like this, this thing I love doing whilst, you know, killing time in the van. And then once I 
kind of stopped touring as a full-time musician and I wanted to go do something else. I took a sabbatical year because my brother at that point had been playing tournaments for years and he was quite a strong player. He's like uh, reached almost 2,100 feet at some point. And I always envied the fact that he could go to these tournaments, play the Dutch national league. Uh, and he had all these chess friends and all this stuff. And, and he would always crush me in blitz. And so I took a sabbatical year uh, and all I did was just work like part-time enough to pay the bills. I have a family and I had some money saved up. And uh, the rest of the time I was just studying chess. I think I was studying chess six to eight hours a day because I ma- I was wow. able to do it. And uh, I got my first FIDE rating, started playing for my first club, went to my first tournament. Like I really went through all those things. And, you know, I started with books. I started on chess.com. I, I got the premium membership and I, I did the video lessons and uh, I started discovering like, uh, you know, teachers on YouTube, Christoph Selecki was a, f- a favorite of mine. I really liked his, um, book on the Nimzo Bogo, uh, you know, system and all this stuff. And so I started discovering it. And then, uh, part of that journey was discovering the, uh, perpetual chess podcast, you know, colleague of yours and, uh, me, I just started listening to all those episodes and I was just devouring anything that was just chess improvement. And, uh, through the, through that podcast, I discovered, that there was this new startup company called Chessable and they had this product and I've been trying out lots of stuff, right? I tried out the different app trainers. I had the CT art stuff. I had the Magnus trainer. I had the chess premium stuff. I was like checking out chess 24 courses. And then, you know, I went to this kind of like Facebooky looking website and it just had a sign up button. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it's behind the paywall. So I'll just sign up and go inside. And uh, I did. And then uh, it made me go through this tutorial of this Joko Piano Italian opening and it was playing the moves. And then I had to follow it. And, that, and, and I was like, instantly, I was like, yes, finally, somebody's made something for me. Like, I get this. I, I need this. I need this tool to teach me openings. I need this tool to teach me tactics, whatever. It was like just what I wanted. And then I loved the fact that there was this algorithm based on this you know, science of spaced repetition and learning that was helping me remember these lines. And so I got totally addicted to Chessable. At the time, I was still had some musical obligations. So I had some tours lined up. We even went to Russia at one point with one of my bands. And uh, the entire tour, I was on my phone just doing Chessable reps, just racking up points, just studying. Like the joke on tour just kind of began like, where's Garrett? Oh, he's sitting in the corner with his phone. He's doing his Chessable and, and so I was totally, totally obsessed with this thing. And so I started writing to uh, David, the CEO of the company, and I was in touch with some other people. And I was like, hey, man, if you ever want to do an, a, a, an event in the Netherlands or something, you know, at Vikingsay, be happy to help out, help you represent Chessable. And uh, that's how I kind of like got in touch. And um, one thing led to another. But it was really just all about me finding a tool that I was like super excited about. Yeah, and you didn't mention you're a musician. I, I, you know, I, I did tell you about this as we were preparing for the show, but I should just say, um, so uh, when I was doing my research on the episode, guys, uh, I, you know, I looked geared up, and uh, it said he's a musician because also says in his uh, in his Twitter bio at uh, Black Atlantic. By the way, if you guys want to follow him on Twitter, and uh, so it says he's a musician and he has some bands, and one of them is this band called Shy Hulu. And I was like, wait a minute, this is, sounds very familiar. Uh, and I look at my Spotify library, and sure enough. I have one album saved by them. It's uh, That Within Blood, Ill-Tempered from 2003. And you can tell me all about that album because you were actually the vocalist on this album. 
Yeah, yeah, we actually recorded that album in uh, late 2001 and early 2002 in Hoboken, New Jersey, when I was still living in the United States. Uh, I'm a Dutch citizen, lived in the, the Netherlands all my life, but uh, at one point in my life, in my early 20s, I lived in the United States. Uh, I had moved there to be in that band. That's a whole nother story. Uh, yeah, I was really into punk hardcore and like screaming my lungs out, and I toured with Shailud uh, from 93 until 2003 full time. And then after that, still did some touring with them every once in a while I would fill in. But I, at that point I was, uh, I had switched. I just wanted to do something else. And, uh, I, I, I'd never gotten a college education. So I think by the time I was 23 or 24, I decided to move back to the Netherlands and, uh, try and get a degree, which I never got, but, uh, I did end up studying philosophy for about four years at the university of Groningen in the Netherlands. And, uh, yeah, that was, again, like one of those periods in my life where I really started getting back into chess, too. And you also you have your library in, behind you on the, the camera. Is this your library? Because it is a lot of philosophical. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kept a lot of my philosophy books just because I really I really love the reading. Um, so, yes, this is my library. Um, a lot of books. Actually, all the chess books are still in the Netherlands from uh, from before the move, because um, when we built the chessable studio in the Netherlands, I kind of wanted to make it like a nice space. So I took my entire chess library and kind of put like a bunch of bookshelves up. So all of my books, all my chess books are still there, which I'm kind of regretting now, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll end up bringing those over at one point. So question. So you, you said you started working with Chessable in January, 2019. Yeah. Uh, and I assume like the state of Chessable must've been very different in terms of the courses you guys offered back oh, then. Because I, I mean, I do remember, I think the only course I had like around 2019 was the, was the QDA Scandinavian That's by John Bartholomew. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I hadn't even actually looked at it until I, it was just something I kind of bought and it was something I hadn't even looked at because my coach at the time told me, oh, why are you going to play Scandinavian? It's like a garbage opening. Okay. Like, don't John Sports. Okay. I thought you were going to say Alex, Alex Chovich, but I thought you said QGD, but it, but it was the, the, the Scandinavian. Yeah, I remember I just had that course and I had some other some tactics scores, but the, the, the you know, the chessable library is a lot more empty. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you've been there for over two years and like how exactly I know we talked about this a little bit before um, before the episode, but um, how exactly did you start getting these high level grandmasters to come on and do chessable courses with you guys? And like, what was the incentive for them? Obviously, like what were what were you trying to get out of it? Uh, yeah, I guess we'll start there. Well, uh, I joined. So I joined January of 2019, and at that point, we had just signed our first super grandmaster, which was uh, Grandmaster Hari Krishna from India, uh, to do a course. And he picked something. He picked uh, a. He wanted to do something a repertoire against the uh, the French defense, and so that was literally the first video course uh, that I ever filmed and edited. Uh, you know, whatever when you see that footage now <laughs> the quality is not what it, what the quality of chessable course are now but uh yeah i remember he just came to my little office studio space that i had and uh my parents happened to be out of town so he stayed at my parents house and that's what we filmed and uh that's uh you know it was nice like he lived he was just like right down the street um so so that was that was a really big deal for us but um you know, of course, we also had uh, John Bartholomew as our champion, who was a, and still is very popular on YouTube. And he's always been a fantastic ambassador for the company. 
that's always been his role too. You know, like as a co-founder, he really helped in those first few years, especially, uh, you know, he was really always out there championing the company and, uh, you know, being there for events and making sure that like help to help with promotion and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah. And John was a content creator and, and, uh, helping us also like he, he would also, you know, look at the content being submitted by people via the self-publishing platform. Um, and the rest of the story is really just a story of consistency um, and hard work. We just kept putting out courses relatively consistently. That's why I was hired to manage that process. And we built that process out and scaled it and started hiring more people. And then that started paying for itself. Uh, and then every time that we had more money to spend we would just put it back into hiring more good people and i think at one point uh when we were about 30 35 people probably 60 to 70 percent of those people were just content people like we had a very small developers group very small uh management uh it was just a few guys but everybody else was producing content and i think that was our main focus was just making sure that that library grew so probably that's how we managed to to get it to where it is. And of course, once we signed with uh, Play Magnus Group and we had that uh, merger with the, uh, the group and we got, so that was a big inflection point. Getting to film with Magnus Carlson was also obviously also huge. That was another big inflection point. And then there was just momentum after that, it just kept happening. And obviously COVID accelerated things. I think COVID is when I got my chessable course buying addiction um, where I've, I've bought some that I won't even, I haven't even looked at. I just was like, Oh, it's a cool course. Let me buy it. And I haven't even looked at it yet. <laughs> Especially the lifetime repertoires. I mean, I mean, they're, they, it's not a joke. They really do last a lifetime. Uh, I mean, maybe the lines you have to update on your own, but you know, at least the amount of lines that you get from these super guys, like grandmasters is just like, or not even necessarily super grandmaster, but just very, very talented. Like, for example, um, my favorite two courses on Chessable are the Exchange Rui Lopez and the Lifetime Repertoires Karo Khan. Um, Let's see, the Exchange Rui Lopez, is, I think, is by Young Berla, right? And the Karo Khan is definitely by uh, by Airman. Um, yeah, I mean, but those guys put so much work into those repertoires. Those are real labors of love. I mean, Yeah, young... you can tell. You can really tell. I. I mean, uh, I was, it was especially like, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned before, again, when we were like talking about like the, the pre-episode about like how, you know, you had guys like Anish Giri come and say, oh, hey, like there's a, you guys don't have a course on the dragon and he made a course on the dragon. Um, but you find all these like weird openings. Like, for example, I think it's who um, Max Warmerdam who just did an opening like the Janowski Queen's Gambit Declined, which is like the the A6, really early A6. Um and, you know, you can find these really offbeat things uh, that you can kind of make your own. And I think that that's really cool because even I think book publishers will maybe not want to make entire books on those kinds of openings because it's like maybe risky and yeah. people may not be interested. But on Chessable, you have people just stepping up and doing that. And then there is also this creator platform, um, which I wasn't even aware of until this, uh, this competition to make your own course. And I try to make my own course and it takes way too much time. So I, I did not finish. Um but it, it's it is, <laughs> yeah but but you can uh you can actually if you're like a player and you have an opening and, and you know you really put a lot of time you can actually also make money i think from from chessable yep. so so you hit the nail on the head there both both uh on both things 
when you asked, like, how did you guys manage to put out so much content? One of them was we had this self-publishing platform from the start. It, very early on uh, in Chessable's lifespan, that tool was there almost from the beginning. And it's been part of Chessable's success to have anybody be able to produce a Chessable course. Like a guy like Elijah Logozar, who's now a national master, was a 16-year-old kid producing his first chessable course and publishing it with, a, you know, like Grandmaster um, uh, endorsement from Dejan Boschko. And so we had that, that was one of the channels through which we were getting a lot of content on the platform, which are just like enthusiasts, just putting lots of hard work into producing good content. And then because we have this small community of people, now it's a large community, but at the time, very small community of people that were really invested in helping other authors produce this content. That was really big. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then the other thing is, uh, is just once people start noticing that they can make money on the platform and that this is a continuous paycheck for them every month after month, and they start discovering that then others hear about it. And, and that's kind of how the rest of the, the catalog uh, started growing. Now, I mean, I know you, I know you at this point, you maybe don't have both feet in the water in terms of content creation, like you used to, but could you maybe preview some some courses that are in the works? I mean, I know we talked on Twitter about maybe somebody working on a Kingsley at Gambit course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we uh, we uh, as we speak, uh, uh, Nipom Nyashi is uh, recording a course on the King's Gambit, um, and uh, tomorrow we will be publishing a Kramnik course, uh, which he worked on and really did an amazing job on. Um, what else? There's a lot of stuff. Um, if you're curious. I mean, we have a pretty decent preview up of what's coming. Uh, if you go to Chessable and you look, uh, you click on the all courses button all the way at the bottom, there's this thing that says 2021. If you click on that, you see the our publishing schedule for the next few months. There's always like some, some big titles mentioned there. So lots oh, of cool. good stuff, but uh, I think Kramnik's pretty big. And uh, that was like a huge milestone for us. Uh, and obviously, like Nipom Nyashi doing something is amazing. Uh, recently, we published something by Judith Polgar. That was a really big deal for us to finally have her have her uh, work with us. So those are those are just a couple of the, the big names that we recently put out. So you guys, you plan these courses like uh, like months in advance? Yeah, for sure. Like uh, got like uh, that Carl Kahn course by Aaron Lamini, for example. I think Aaron started working on that. Mm the day after the candidates were postponed. And I think he worked on that for three months full time, like not doing anything else. Uh, and at that point he could because everything was shut down because of COVID. Uh, and he just, and in fact, um, behind the scenes, his wife, Alina Lumi, who's an international master, they worked on, they worked on that together a lot. Like it was all Ervin's doing the hardcore you know, theory and all this other stuff. But Alina also put a tremendous amount of time into designing the course and really making sure that everything was tidy. And, and that's why it became one of the best-selling courses, I think. And it's funny because that whole process led to her discovering that she loved working for the company. And she's been one of our uh, heads of quality control now for over a year because we hired her after they wow. published the course. Because she, she, she asked, I was like, can I come work for you guys? And I was like, well, uh, we don't really have an opening, but of course we can't say no to hiring you. We, we'll figure something out. We'll just hire you and then we'll find, we'll find you a spot. So uh, yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of the general gist of the story for Chessable. It's like, we just, 
have all these enthusiasts and people who just love it and, and then want to work for the company. Now, there's this other feature. This is actually why I reached out to you originally because I, I was reading the, the Chessable blog because I get the emails. And um, it's called Chessable Classroom. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because um, it seems it, it seems really innovative because, I, you know, I do, I do um, chess lessons over Zoom. I've been doing that like that for about, wow, I guess like three years, over three years since I started yeah. playing. I've been doing all my lessons on Zoom. And, you know, it's, it's pretty good if you have a shared analysis board on chess or chess.com. But uh, you guys have some features on Chessable Classroom that could actually allow somebody to maybe hold a scholastic lesson for like a class of 20 people. So I was wondering if you yeah, could kind of talk about um, it. it uh, currently, uh, so it's a, a video integrated toolkit for, for coaches. So literally you can have 50 kids uh, together in a video call and, um, and then uh, Chessable Classroom gives you the option to do simuls, to do tournaments, to uh, do quizzes, to uh, upload uh, material. It's constantly being improved still too. Uh, we worked on that really quietly for about two years. We already had a demo uh, two years ago. We worked with a couple of big uh, New York Chess Academy. So really had students really early on and we listened to the coaches feedback very early on. So besides the current tools that are now available, uh, there's also this whole back end that allows coaches to see their students' progress, see their accuracy, see how they're doing day to day, all this kind of stuff. So it's a really, really great tool for for coaches and students. And um, I'm pretty sure that in the next few months we'll make Chessable Classroom open. It's currently in closed beta, but if you go to chessable.com/coaching, uh, you can sign up. And our uh, our headmaster, as we call him, David Beaton, he will uh, he will uh, he can open up a chess uh, like a Chessable classroom for you, which is just chessable.com slash, you know, classroom and then your name, whatever it is, where your username. Uh, and then you can start inviting people into it and start giving video lessons. That's just, uh, that's just how, what it's built for. It's built for like maximum interactivity. Now, somebody who's working at the company for two years, I was wondering if you could also talk a little bit, cool. Let's be real. I mean, I'd love to have this happen, but Odds of me having Magnus Carlson on this podcast are next to zero. Um, but of course, I, I kind of am a little bit curious about how this Play Magnus group works because it seems like they're just acquiring every every piece of innovative tech in chess these days is just getting bought by them. Like one one day you have an independent company. Um, who knows? They might even buy my podcast. I don't know. And I, I, I was too scared <laughs> to ask. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, like how, how did that process occur? And like, um, like... How do you, whether you know how involved Magnus is in that stuff, or I guess I'm just very curious about that whole operation. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, Aim Chess, the company that sponsors your podcast, is now also part of Play Magnus Group. Play Magnus Group is essentially a collection of companies that are all specialized in one specific thing, right? Chessable is specialized as an educational learning platform. Uh, and we're very focused on educational content. Obviously, Chessable Classroom is part of that. It's kind of an extension of having a library of content if you also then have a, you know, an interactive learning tool that allows you to use those uh, chess courses. Then you have like the perfect place because a coach can just assign homework from the library and, uh, or bring his own and use the tool and give lessons. And so that's also why we part why Chessable partnered with Day because all these chess federations in the world are really looking for something like this. And they're really happy to be using a tool like ours now where they can give these interactive video lessons 
and take their classes to the next level and they don't even have to leave comfort of their homes now. So yeah, so it's, so it's that. Other companies that we have are um, in the group are, for example, Chessung4, who, who were very innovative in the beginning, especially with the chess broadcasting, still one of the premium chess broadcasters in the world. You know, they developed the Champions Chess Store as a new concept. That's taking chess broadcasting to a whole new level with this TV studio broadcast that's just like super professional. Um, obviously, we have the Play Magnus company, which are all of the apps, which was the first company to do like uh, chess apps, like specialized in certain things. You know, you like it, you have a, you know, Magnus Trainer, which is a fantastic tool for kids and, and, and adult improvers to take themselves from absolute zero to, let's say, medium strength chess player. You have uh, Play Magnus, the app itself, where you get to play against all these like cool AIs based around Magnus's play. You have, you know, um, Magnus Kingdom, which is a great fun game, like a, a role-playing game for kids. A uh, company like AM Chess who work with uh, data analysis tools that take your own games and then feed you back a bunch of insights that can help you improve. So all those things are just different little bits that I think anybody who's interested in chess in one way or another, whether it's chess improvement or chess entertainment or any of those things, they fit together. I mean, that's also why we ended up buying as a, a group, we ended up buying the New in Chess and uh, Everyman, the two biggest chess publishers in the world, because they have a great catalog of books and that content again can find a new home on Chessable, but also, for example, a purely e-commerce oriented uh, company like iChess who do only video courses you know, that's another one of those great companies that just focuses on audience, builds a product, and then, uh, you know, caters to them. And all those things combined, you know, our goal is just to be the most comprehensive chess company in the world that caters to everybody in the chess world. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's certainly working. I mean, I, I don't, I really don't think there's, uh, there's anything even close to like a, like a competitor in that sense. Um, you know, you mentioned buying the, the licenses. Do, do you actually buy the companies or just the, the licenses to those publishing companies? Uh, New and Chess and uh, Everyman uh, have been fully acquired into Play Magnus Group. So they are part wow. of the Play Magnus Group. Yeah. Wow, this guy yeah. Magnus is... Uh, so Play Magnus Group, he's not like the CEO, right? He, but he, of course, he, you know, he, it's his name on the, on the, on the endeavor. Yeah, Magnus is one of the biggest biggest shareholders in the company. Oh, I mean, I'm sure, I, I'm sure, but I, you know, he is the world champion. I don't think he has as much time to. Uh, he he's like the LeBron James of chess. You know, he, yeah, he I would agree. I would agree with that statement. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I mean, obviously, Magnus doesn't come into the office every day and like sits there and and makes calls on the acquisition. He doesn't have time for that. He's focused on being world champion. So he's a brand ambassador. Uh, he definitely is involved with the direction that the company is taking and uh, um, definitely has a say there. Um, but, uh, you know, he leaves the day-to-day -day stuff to, you know, our uh, executive team, which includes the former head of opera, Andrea Stoma, who is the CEO of Play Magnus Group. And so we have in-house a lot of really great experts and those people build the company and Magnus is the absolute, like the best possible thing he can do is, remain world champion and stay at the, you know, at the top of the rating list by playing chess, because that reflects on all of us. Right. So that's, that's just amazing to have somebody like that. Who's been the number one rated chess player in the world for over 10 years now, uh, be so personally invested in, in, uh, in a company. 
Now, another question. Um, talking about like that well, first something I want to ask first was about like books. But I forgot my train of thought, but something else came up. Um so that I just thought about. Did you guys ever imagine that that uh like a commercial chess empire could be so successful and so lucrative in that 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 this is what people want? Because you know, people always say that chess is boring. Um, for a long time, you basically had two or three chess servers and, you know, maybe Skype lessons. And that was the extent of chess content on the internet. And now we, like, like I said before, we really are in like a golden age, in my opinion of like being able to improve, uh, your own game and having all these resources, like these high level resources to just take your game to the next level. Um, was that something you guys kind of predicted or have you been sort of surprised, especially since COVID happened by this like explosion in success? I mean, that was the vision from the start. We joined Play Magnus Group or became the Play Magnus Group uh, with Chessable joining, you know, Chess24 and uh, Play Magnus. That, that's been the vision from the start is to, to build that out. The thing with chess is there's, um, it's an underdeveloped, there's not a lot of infrastructure for professionals. It's very scattered and there's, you know, there was, I would say before these kinds of new tools that are now being developed uh, in the chess space, there were, of course, I mean, you had your coaches giving your video lessons with uh, chess space online and there was not so much interactivity. Uh, there were DVDs that you could watch and all this stuff, but not much was being done with software, right? Software as a product. So Chessable is one of the, I would say one of the first, uh, with a fancy word, we would call that SaaS, right? Software as a service companies uh, to enter the market. And I think there's going to be many more of these types of companies slowly, like AimChess, for example, is also a SaaS company. Um, so there's going to be more and more of these types of companies entering the market because there wasn't much out there. And now you can see that in lots of other fields, there are these developments. For example, Chessable took its inspiration from the le le language learning app, Duolingo, which also works with spaced repetition and with these learning guided learning paths and all this other stuff. So that was a big inspiration. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of that type of stuff. So uh, it's Play Magnus Group's you know, uh, mission to stay on top of that, to stay ahead of that and keep, keep making more innovative companies and driving more innovation in chess because we think that, you know, Chess, if chess is truly being played by 600 million people in the world, then it's a massive market. And, and, you know, we want to help serve that market with as many great products as we can. Yeah. I mean, I think it's working. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of Chessable. I mean, like uh, you guys, if you, uh, if you haven't heard of Chessable, uh, then I'm a little amazed because I know that there's a span during the pandemic where uh, basically for every, every Hikaru video I would click on or any like uh, chess video that I'd watch, I would hear it's time to take control of your journey towards chess mastery. Magnus Carlsen <laughs> introduces chessable. Yeah. It's, and uh, that, that commercial is like stuck in my head. Um, great commercial though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can, you guys should check out their, their expanding catalog. There's an opening for anybody there. There's things for all levels and there's not just stuff from grandmasters and master level players. Like, like you said, they're, there's a lot of original content on there that, you know, that people who are maybe not like uh, super strong, but just have a big passion for chess have, have made for people who are beginning. And there's stuff like tactics books and stuff like that. So you really can find anything that you need in your, your uh, 
chess repertoire and get that for yourself. Something I wanted yeah. to ask also was about the books. I'm trying to go back to this question quickly because I've noticed that a lot of, I, I spent like $200 on chess books recently. And I noticed that almost all of them were on chessable. Um, like the grandmaster preparation, not that I'm anywhere near grandmaster level, but I'm just a big fan of like Jacob Ogard's like writing. Um, sure. I got positional decision-making in chess by Boris Gelfen. And I saw, I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw all those books um, on chessable because Abhimayu Mishra had all of the chessable versions on there. Yeah, um, a big fan of those as well. Now, why would somebody buy a chessable course, an online chessable course over a book where, you know, you could say you can kind of do any of the variations and go back in a different way? Uh, I mean, I have my own reasons why I would because I think that it's, it, it's just easier, like instead of bringing along your whole virtual, you know, like your whole library with you anywhere you travel, that you could just have these versions of those books. But um, are there any other reasons why somebody should consider maybe buying uh, like a chessable version of a book rather than the hard copy itself? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just so much more efficient. Um, you, if you buy an opening book or you buy a book full of uh, chess positions that you have to solve, you're going to have to spend a lot of time setting those positions up on the board. Uh, unless you know you're already really capable and you can just visualize the entire position in your head and then also figure out all the solutions to whatever you know um, training material that you have. But most of us uh, will spend a lot of time on setting up the material on the board and reading through a variation and then there's like four or five sub variations and then you get lost and then you have to go back and now you don't even remember where you started or where when you started moving the pieces on the board. But I remember this, this was one of my frustrations. And I remember I was so happy to find just because I was like, okay, great. They did all this stuff for me. All the positions are there. All the lines are there. I, I know what I have to study. Now, all, all I have to do is just click learn, follow the moves, and then try to remember it all. And slowly but surely, because this algorithm remembers where I make mistakes and it feeds me back those mistakes sooner, I'm going to start memorizing these lines. And with the memorization, comes the understanding. And so I think that's one of the key advantages is that it's a, it's a tool that helps you train you. Um, and uh, that's a big advantage over a book because when you have a book, you're spending so much more time on setting up. And in fact, like you mentioned Abhimanju Mishra, who's now the youngest grandmaster in the world. Um, I remember he came to us late last year, around September, October, and he was trying to break that record. And, 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 the path to becoming the youngest grandmaster in the world for him had been really slowed down a lot because uh, because of COVID and he couldn't play any tournaments. And then there were these norm tournaments taking place finally and he, and he was in need of preparing for it. And then they knew about Chessel, but they hadn't really tried it out all that much. And I demoed it for him. I said, look, you can also upload your own private repertoires and your own private uh, training material here. So you can really spend a lot of time training that stuff and you don't have to set it up on the board. And he's like, oh my God, you have Doretzky's Endgame Manual. It's all there. I don't have to like set up all these positions. I can just drill them to bits until I've memorized all these endgames and just like, you know, it saves me like so much time. I think, in fact, he said in a, in a recent interview with one of our staff members, I think he said he can do Doretzky's Endgame Manual in one fifth of the time now. So time is a really big one, efficiency. And then of course, like we have this gamification of, of studying built into the platforms. You, you can earn up 
you know, you can earn points, you can earn badges, all that kind of stuff that makes studying fun. You can have a little study competition with your friends, check out your leaderboard with the friends that you've added. And that adds this like really fun, like social aspect to it. And then Chessable is also a place for community. So you can leave comments. Other users can go on the site, leave a comment back. So you're actually also sharing knowledge with your friends and with new people that you meet there. So it's like, you know, going to university, you start meeting other people, like-minded people who are all interested in the same topic, all have this big passion for chess and, and all that stuff combined, you know, that doesn't exist in a book. When you when you have a book, it's you, it's the pages in front of you, and uh, it's all about how you spend your time there. But, you know, you have to spend a lot more time. You have to spend it very differently. It's very solitary. And there's not that instant kind of feedback happening. So I would say those are all things that probably weigh in favor of uh, having a chessable version over over a book. And I guess also from the from the authors and publishers standpoint, like how does you know somebody like me, let's say you know I'm I'm traveling to Denmark in a month and I I don't want to bring all my whole chess library with me. So let's say I want to buy a couple of those copies of the books I already have on chessable. Um, what does a publisher, what does the author see from the chessable purchase as opposed to the book purchase? Oh, they see a lot more money from a chessable course than they ever will see from a print book. So chessable shares 40% of net revenue with creators, or, you know, if it's a publisher who has licensed their uh, material to us, they will get at least 40% of net revenue. And um, that's considering our price points and considering that, um, you know, a lot more units are sold of, of, uh, of certain books or courses in this case. Um, that's instant money for them. So imagine if you have a print book, then you have the cost of having to print those books, of having to have them in storage. Uh, the units sold are not as fast, right? Then there's none of those added benefits. So there's not a community. It's just they have to go to bookshops and chess specialists and all these people. So it's a much more different, much more difficult distribution cycle for them to get to all those people and sell the same amount of units. They might eventually sell more physical books, but the return on those books is not the same as it is on a chessable course, especially if it's a chessable course of a book that also adds video because that's a new component and adds a whole new layer. So um, yeah, that 40%, uh, I would say, puts a lot of money in the pocket of creators and publishers and, and it helps them uh, move. And then the other thing you mentioned, obviously, you know, one of the other advantages is if you're traveling, you can bring a whole big suitcase full of chess books or you can just bring your phone and just do chessable on the app. <laughs> yeah, the, the app is also a fairly recent thing too, because um, like, I feel like I was thinking to myself at like maybe the start of the pandemic, like why isn't there an app for chessable? Like I would love to just be walking around or like at the park and you know, if I'm just trying to sit and get some fresh air to just work on my Carol Khan book um, on chessable and it wasn't there, but, it, but now it is because I have been doing my chessable training on the subway. <laughs> Yeah, you can do it. We have the both, uh, and it's out now on Android too. We first, we launched iOS first, just uh, because that audience was smaller and we could control all of the feedback and all of the uh, the features and all this stuff. But uh, we, we actually already launched the Android version as well. Um, so it's uh, out and uh, people are loving it. Now, just like a couple more questions um, before we conclude the episode. First of all, you know, you, you're somebody who, who oversees a lot of the content and uh, more generally for both Play Magnus and for Chessable. Um, 
is there anything that you kind of would like to see from an executive standpoint, like from more of a business standpoint, like in the chess world that you don't think is there right now? And this doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of like content creation. Mm, maybe one of the things where I think we really need to innovate is uh, over the board tournament experiences. Um, and this is again, just speaking from my own personal experience, I was very late comer to chess, right? So I was like in my mid thirties going to my first chess tournament. Um, and this is not to, you know, say anything bad about the Grenka open because that's absolutely my favorite open tournament to go to. Um, it's the biggest open in Europe. It's in this beautiful, uh, congressional hall kind of like building and it's next to the zoo in Karlsruhe in Germany. Um, but I went there, there's like 2,000 or 2,500 people playing at the same time in the same space. And uh, they had one coffee booth with two people serving some coffee and some, you know, croissants. And then uh, there was one book vendor and one other person doing some demo of some chess product. And I'm thinking to myself, if you have for five days, this is a five-day tournament. If you have a nine-rounder for five days, you have over 2,000 people, probably upwards of four or five, if you imagine the top players and their whole entourages and all the people working around for this tournament, and they're all into chess. If you have all those people in one space, how come there's nothing more than like a book signing happening? How come there's only one food vendor? How come there's no fun events for the kids? How come there's no experience around this? Because me, like I'm a father, three kids too. My son plays chess. Like my, my daughter plays chess. Like I would love to go to a place like that where I can spend the whole weekend, almost like a music festival, take my kids, have a lot of fun. Think about, think about fun more. Just think about chess as uh, this community thing. And I really miss that when I go to a tournament, it's just all about how many games per day I can cram into the day American tournaments have a, a reputation for, you know, you, you have to bring your own chessboard and all this stuff. And yeah, American tournaments like, with someone else. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a big opportunity to improve. And, and it seems like really easy to, to do. So I think that's one area where I think we can do a lot better. And, you know, I mean, also, I, th I think like if you look, obviously online success has had a huge, huge boom. But you have to imagine that a considerable percentage, and I've seen this like at the my local club. My local club was a martial chess club in New York City, which is, I mean, you know, when people used to talk about American chess, I was like, oh, what what is so bad? I mean, martial chess club. I, I, it's only like I learned that martial is the exception where you don't have to bring your own board, and like they have. I was going to say the martial chess club is one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful chess club in the world. I maybe maybe the Moscow chess club is slightly nicer, but I mean that's one of the top three best chess clubs in the world. So if you play at the Marshall, then you get, you get that experience. It's right. so nice. And in fact, our CFO, uh, Dimitri Snyder is a former club champion, former uh, oh. Marshall chess club champion. So uh, uh, grew up in New York and like played for the Marshall. And uh, uh, so we have a very close relationship to the Marshall in that sense. You know, um, he's a, he's a club champion. And I am, uh, I think like probably in 2020, I'm like, I've lost the most games in the Marshall chess club. So hey, you know, uh, back and forth. Be that guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I mean, but I, so just to finish my point, I completely agree. You, you have to imagine a considerable percentage of all these people who've gone and introduced it online. And I know this is true with my friends who've gone into chess. They all want yeah. to try out the over the board experience now. And you don't want people's first experience. Of course, it's not going to be like, like Beth Harmon, uh, you know, like, like that kind of, you know, experience for everybody. But I, I do think you are absolutely right in terms of like the larger tournaments and 
you know, if people maybe get their first taste of glory at like one of these really big open tournaments, like it should be fun because chess is a game at the end of the day. And if it's not fun, then why are you playing? Exactly. And that's just what I'm missing. I'm missing. And, and I, I, you know, credit to Hikaru, credit to uh, uh, Alexander and Andrea Botez, credit to, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Levy Rosman, uh, credit to John Bartholomew, all these guys online that are that are doing a lot for chess entertainment. Um, you know, and also especially, you know, credit to um, the other side of the, the, you know, the fence, because I just shouted out a whole bunch of the, you know, the competitions streamers, basically. But a guy like Antonio Radic with uh, Agat Mater, you know, who's just a club player, like strong club player, but just a club player starting the biggest, you know, right now still. I'm not sure. I haven't followed the latest. Yeah, Levy's going to pass him someday. But uh... right. So, so still the biggest chess YouTube in the world. Like their focus is making chess fun and making chess entertaining and accessible. Um, and there's also that side, especially in the, the other side of chess broadcast, like what we tried to do with the Champions Chess Tour, for example, is make chess accessible on a mainstream level. If you watch the, the, the TV broadcast, which we all obviously also, like we stream that to Twitch and YouTube and all this stuff, but the Champions Chess Tour, the studio broadcast with Yovanka, Kaya, and uh, David, Howell, um, that's a super accessible broadcast that even my dad can follow. And so I think that's a, an innovation that, you know, we've seen over the last year where I think that's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. I think also like, um, I, I, I think, I just hope that, that like, I, I hope that somebody does listen to what you say in terms of the over the board stuff, because I think like online chess is doing great in the sense that there's been huge growth and it doesn't really seem like it's slowed down necessarily. Maybe people aren't joining at this rapid rate like they were before, but I also don't think that chess is like necessarily hemorrhaging players. I think most people who got into it from Queens Gambit at this point, you know, maybe they're playing a couple of games a week on their phone or like, you know, when they're just oh, like traveling. No, you're right. Even the data supports this. If you look at chess data, uh, many other sports peaked and dropped off and chess actually peaked and then, you know, obviously it slowed down a little bit because Queen's Gambit definitely had a, an oversized effect, outsized effect on, on the popularity of the game. But a lot of people stuck around. And you can see that now in visitor numbers and in, in how many people are playing online. And I think that, you know, that's credit to all the platforms in the world, like working really hard to make a really good product. And also, I think it's just something magical about the game itself, right? Chess is just once you once you fall in love I don't know many people who, who you don't can't ever stop. Yeah, it's just beautiful. I, I yeah, of, of course. I mean, that's that's what hooked me because I was a big gamer. I played World of Warcraft. I played like League of Legends. I was I was not that good at League of Legends. I was pretty good at World of Warcraft. Like I did some like rating and stuff. But um, once I started playing chess, I basically I don't play any other games except for chess anymore because it's all the competition I have there and the also the amount that you can actually learn and study is so much deeper than with any other game. Many of these games are a few years old. Chess is four hundred years old. You know, any opening you learn, you're standing on the shoulder of giants. And that's something really beautiful about that. Or even, you know, I bought a book. Um, well, actually, because I know so many people are studying these chess book courses. So actually, I bought I, I bought a book from 1995 on the Exchanger Lopez just to add some sidelines if in case people want to, like, use the book against me. Yeah. Actually, one of the games that was shown there was, uh, was a Marshall Chess Club game from, like, 1950 or something or 1960. And, you know, that's a game from back then that I can put on my board at home or online, replay it, analyze it. What You can't do that with any other game. You, you just can't. There's something yeah. really beautiful about that that just yeah, doesn't yeah. exist with any other kind of game. 
Yeah, yeah. That's that's something really special about chess is that you can actually go back to 1850 and replay a game by Paul Morphy and thanks to chess notation and people writing this down and sharing this and archiving this and we can still enjoy that. And so we have like almost like a live timeline of how chess evolved. And that's why I think it's such a rich game because we have all those games. We have all these players writing down their thoughts about this. And this has been an integral part of the game, right? Since the start, like chess books have been published since like, I think 1400 uh, somewhere. Uh, so yeah, that's something really special. And I think uh, that's also why there's such a rich chess culture that it's just kind of like sad that, a lot of that has been relegated to back rooms and small clubs. and uh, But a lot of chess is under the surface. Even, I would say, the beauty of chess most of the time is in what wasn't played. And, and that's what makes it so uh, enigmatic in a way. It's like you, you, you don't really know until you actually dig into it. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is what was going on. And that's what uh, that's also makes it a little bit impenetrable from the outside. So... Thanks to, you know, I would say thanks to engines and thanks to modern day broadcast and thanks to commentary now, it's becoming accessible in a way and becoming visible. And I think that's why our game's flourishing. Like online, it's just finding that that new layer of like that was kind of like previously only for the for those in the know. And now like we're making that visible. I think that's what's awesome. I mean, and even if you look at like with in terms of, uh, of broadcast, I mean, it's not a champion chess tour event. Um... But if you just look at like the, the broadcasting side of things, I've never, ever seen so many people interested in the chess world cup before three years ago, this would not have even been, you know, you would have some commentary on, on chess.com. It would be watched by maybe a thousand people. If it was a Magnus game that was, that was going on that day. Um, and that, that was it. And I mean, if I, I go on Twitch right now, I guarantee there's between Hikaru's channel, the chess.com channel, chess 24, probably 30,000 people following these games. Yeah. And these are these are chess games. They're classical chess games where people are, you know, you about you are able to bounce around. Sure, you're able to bounce around between like six different games, but even like, I always felt this was going to be successful because the the year I started playing was the year that uh, Fabi had like just won the candidates, mm-hmm. and uh, during the World Championship match, it was the same thing where I saw at one point there was like thirty thousand people checking out this match on Twitch, and that was just crazy to me. It's a chess match. Is an American in a chess match. So I guess maybe people were interested or for whatever reason, it was just like, there was some interest and the data supports this. You could look and you could look at the, like the chess.com Twitch account from like November, 2018. And, and you'll see like, the, there's this little, little thing like this. And um, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm really glad to see this successful. I mean, like, like longtime listeners know, I tell these stories about like friends who like kind of would be like, well, are you playing chess? Like, it's like, it's a, and then they asked me to teach them chess, like after the boom um and, and that's twitch i mean if you think about uh maybe the stuff that you're not so aware of for example like when champion sister happens like over a hundred thousand people in china are tuning in every time and like, wow yeah there's so many people watching i can't so even I, see that we can't even see that the viewership for for those tournaments is upwards of you know three hundred thousand per wow so it's there it's it's really booming and uh you know china's obviously a big country with huge population so 100,000 people from China it's a very small small amount compared to the the major population and and you know uh chess even though i guess it originated in China and then India um is pro- it not as popular in those countries as for example it uh is in Russia uh but 
um, there's that mainstream appeal. And I think it's just kind of eventually will through online and stuff, it will, it will, it will, it will grow even more. Yeah, no, I, and I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the growth and certainly, you know, with these kinds of innovative, like software platforms, I think there's only room to grow really. And there's still so much to do. I think that's really the, the, the crazy part is that I, I don't, I really don't think we've even scratched the surface in terms of what we can actually offer. Well, not we, you, but hopefully me too, at some point, well, what, what, you know, people working in chess can actually offer to chess players. Like you said, there's an enormous base that we often can't even scratch the surface of. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities there, whether it's and a podcast. It's not an old man's game anymore, right? It's the young man's game and a young woman's game. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it was that for a long time, and now it really is something for, for the youth. And uh, that's amazing. I think that also shows that there's a lot more. Because if it doesn't have that, if it doesn't have that youth and that youthful energy, it also has – you also – run the risk of your your game and your sport becoming stale but i think more and more young people are discovering it and are, are, are becoming you know players for life yeah and certainly me too i'm gonna be a player for life too so and i was a young person and i got hooked before this boom and i've just been really glad to see some of my friends join me and i i hope more more of my friends and other people continue to join chess because like you said it's just such a magical game and like once you play you understand why and so it, maybe if you're your first time listener to the podcast you've never played chess before uh, you know, make a chess.com account, make a lead chess account and, and just, just explore. And I, I guarantee it's going to be some of the most fun, most refreshing things you'll have done all year. So um, I do have two more questions. First of all, you know, you, of course you work in chess. Well, I'm wondering if there's one course particularly that you enjoy as just uh, somebody who's not only worked there for a long time, but has also been a fan of the company. And then that'll segue into my next question. My, my number one recommendation always is the, uh, checkmate patterns manual which is my absolute i'm i'm i love the story i love the course this is like my chessable success story um uh, as far as like any course is concerned that was a club players course he spent four five hundred hours working on making the most comprehensive collection of all the checkmate patterns that exist and then you know just like super detailed putting them in different chapters and making sure that every single example was explained and that it had this beautiful gradual uh, build up until you end up with the final chapter which is just a complete brutal training 100 checkmates that are just absolutely brutal but i can do them now i'm you know regular club player who through hard work and through taking this course over and over again improved this game and I probably increased my rating by like 200 points just be just because of that course. And it was a regular guy producing, you know, regular club player, not a grandmaster, not a title player, not a super gym who produced something of total super value for all other players, even to the point where other 2600 grandmasters have done that course and said like, this is great content. So one, it shows that I think club players are very capable of producing quality chess content for other club players. Um, and two, I love the fact that after that, John Bartholomew, our co-founder, did a video course on it and like added another layer of instructiveness to it that are, again, like just is just bringing so much value and joy to a lot of people. So that's my choice. It's, it's always I'm going to have a hard time not picking that one because I just love the whole 
you know, story about it. And, and, and in fact, it's still one of my favorite courses. I still study it from time to time. So I don't think the, the value goes away. Um, well, you can always like refresh. What's that? No, because you can always just like refresh your knowledge. Like, oh, you forget like the, the Arabian maid, maybe you missed one. It's like, maybe it's time to relook at that chapter. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and also, um, yeah, if you need to, the thing for me is I've studied that course so much that like, the one thing I can say I'm good at is if you give me a checkmate pattern, I'm going to find it. And I'm going to play it. Like it's not, I don't miss checkmate so much anymore. There's plenty of other stuff I miss and that I blunder, but uh, give me an attack and a checkmate. And I see the patterns like faster than sometimes other stronger players. Well, yeah. I mean, that makes you a lot better than me. Maybe I should buy this course, you know, uh, that's, some... that's right. Hands down the one course that I recommend to any like 1600 rated player. The, the thing is like checkmate patterns have so many tactics in them. So you're getting two for the price of one. Cause if you improve your checkmate patterns, then you also improve your tactical pattern awareness. So, and, and especially defending against them too. It's not, it's not uh, unimportant either. So uh, for sure that one, what was the second question? So, so this is a question I ask everybody is like usually the last question of the podcast where, you know, if, if I ask like anyone from like a grandmaster to just like a approving player to, you know, somebody who maybe works on the business side of chess, if you had one opening that you had to teach like anybody, and of course, Mr. Chessable, uh, you know, this kind of Chessable specialty is the opening repertoire. If you had one opening, so now I'm putting you to the test. You know, of course, you have a lot of stuff you could pick from. Um, but if you had one opening you had to teach like anybody, any strength or like total beginner to maybe a friend at the club, uh, what would you pick and, and why? Okay, look, I'm the inventor of hashtag 1B3Cowboy. Um, <laughs> I'm... I tweet about that opening every day. I love the Nimzo Larson. 1B3 is the opening that I personally have a complete love relationship. I'll never stop playing that opening, but it's not the opening I would recommend a beginner plays. Um, I teach my son. I've taught in schools. I've taught complete beginners for years. I teach the same that every other coach will teach, which is the Italian game. 1E4, Knight F3, Bishop C4, and then we continue on. It's... I think where you have to start with, you have to start with the opening fundamentals. You have to start with development. You have to start with castling. And, you know, after four moves, you already have all those, all those three golden rules of chess. You've, you've got them covered. You've taught development. You've caught taken the center and, and you've, and you've, you've taught, you know, King safety. So that's the opening. And I think that's where you need to start. Uh, it's a great way to start. And then uh, after that, you can start experimenting with lots of other stuff. But I think any beginner should play, uh, and, and I'm going to get so much flack for this from, from the chessable team and anybody else because I'm, I'm always trolling the 1E4 stuff. But I think for beginners, that's the opening. So I hope my colleagues don't listen to this part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you're on the record saying that you invented the 1B3 cowboy. That's you. Yeah, yeah that's me. <laughs> Well, you've had, you've had quite an impact on the chess culture, I, I will say. I mean, I, like I said, I, I mean, I really think that the chess school courses, like they, they set the meta on, on online chess. And I'm sure other people, maybe this is why people are playing stuff like the Benoni now, like online, the Benoni and Catalan, maybe stuff that aren't as, as touched or as covered by the chess school courses, but I'm sure you'll find someone to cover them someday. Um, but I, I like, like, you know, I guess my biggest fear as a Karo Khan player is, uh, well, it's not a problem for me, but I, I guess I'm worried for my friends who play E45 that uh, if Nepo comes out with the King's Gambit course, we will probably see all this new content in the, in the King's Gambit like we've never seen before. And also, of course, like uh, in, the, in, the ch in the Champions Chess Tour, you had some of these novelties in the, in the chessable courses that were just used in those games, like straight up to actually win games against like super grandmasters. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, that's one of the fun things I think that we've been uh, really proud of is that uh, novelties aren't published or not played over the board anymore. They're published in a chessable course first, and then <laughs> Super Grandmaster have to go find them so that they can prepare against them. Uh, but it's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously there's still a lot more prep left. Like, uh, but but what's great about the courses is uh, once they're played, usually we incorporate them back into the course. So even even a novelty that's been played once. Uh, if, uh, if the author is diligent and if they're excited about something, then they update the course and then the repertoire is never, never dead. It's just always, always alive. Which is also something you can never do with a, uh, with a book. Yeah, exactly. Another one of those advantages, like a, a book it's printed, it's the ink is on the pages. You can't change what's been printed. You can do an updated version, but then you have to buy a new version. So again, a chessable course is a really good investment from that perspective. I mean, and we have plenty of examples of, authors revising their repertoires or, or changing a whole chapter or even filming the entire video course all, all again, because they found so many more new things and they wanted to share it with their, with their audiences. So uh, yeah, this happens. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess on that note, I'll, I think we'll end the podcast here, uh, but it's like a really a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, you know, are you still a, you're still a musician at all? Or are you kind of semi-retired at this point? Semi-retired. I uh, pick up the guitar every once in a while, but uh, I'm just really, really into this. This has been my big passion for the past three years now, and I'm um, still, that's the only thing like that I'm completely obsessed with doing that I, I love doing. So uh, that's kind of, this is my thing. It's really amazing that like you had a, you had a, like, uh, and also you, your, your pin Twitter thread is about like your, your whole like uh, career path, all the jobs you worked, which is, I thought was very entertaining to read. But you basically, yeah. you had no experience. You, I mean, you, you, you learned skills from the many jobs you worked and stuff and you, and you put it all together to really like make a career in chess. I mean, as you said, literally by reaching out to like the, the CEO of Chessable or like these high level guys and say, hey, like, let me help you promote your stuff. And now you have a job there and that's really cool. And I think, you know, yeah, that's just I, like- I joked around with David uh, a lot, like um, all the time that I'm like, you should, you should have had no business in hiring me for that position. And he's like, why? I, I knew what, who I hired. I knew exactly why you had to be in that position. And I'm always like, I was just some random chess guy that you just happened to think was a good idea. So I think you lucked out. And he's like, well, maybe, but whatever. You're where you are. And, you know, we're super happy with the working relationship that we have together. So uh, win-win for both sides. Yeah. And I mean, if we just on the, like the, the theme that we talked about, like earlier, you know, that any, anybody really, if you, I, this is just how the chess world is changing. That anybody, if you, if you want to find a place in the chess world, and you put in the work to like to try and monetize it or try to share something with somebody you can today in a way that was never possible before. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, I hope it continues to grow and bring a lot more, you know, professionals into the game because it's only it's only going to make chess better. And, and I think everybody's going to reap the benefits from that in the long run. That's so, very true. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, and I hope to have you on again. Uh, I want to thank Chess once again, owned by the Play Magnus Group. Uh, which means maybe by extension, perhaps I'm owned by the Play Magus group as a human being, uh, which would be really weird. Um, but who knows? You know, they're just growing and growing. We really, we really cannot tell. Um, but Aim Chess, I want to thank you for, for sponsoring once again. Uh, you can use code David30 to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess. If you want some analytics, advanced analytics to look at your game and start improving, you should definitely check it out. Uh, like I said, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to support more conversations, if you want to even help participate in these conversations, Check out the Patreon 64 podcast on Patreon. It's linked in my Twitter. 
You can follow me on Twitter at 64 podcast. If you enjoyed the episodes, you can follow Geert on Twitter at black Atlantic. Um, I guess we'll end it there. I hope to have you on again, like I said, and it's just a, truly a pleasure. So uh, thank you. Likewise, man. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for all the, uh, for all the good questions. And for all the listeners, uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you.